What the fuck is up, world? Piali Tlaltik Pak. We back in this bitch. Another grito. Another episode of the podcast for that ass. Coming about one week's time since our last podcast. Uh, at least I think it's been one week. You know, honestly, I've just kind of lost track of time this entire last past week. I got fucking sick, bro. Shit sucked. Um, you don't really appreciate the vibrancy of health until, you know, it's not there. And you're like, oh, man, fuck all this digital currency bullshit. Fuck a motherfucking stock market bullshit. Motherfucking nine to five minimum wage, maximum wage. Who the fuck cares, dog? Health is wealth. And you do not appreciate that shit until it's fucking compromised and it makes you help. It helps you at least, me for the case, put all kinds of shit into perspective, right? So I, I, I think it might have been, I think it's been a week, right? But uh, I know for a fact that it's been a week since I've been, it's been about a week since I was sick, right? I was spent a whole week sick, so maybe a little bit of like two weeks, right? I don't fucking care. Don't know, don't care, right? We up in this bitch right here, right now, and that's all that matters, okay? Uh, the one thing that I do care about, unfortunately, is that I had to push back the running back shit, okay, for just one week. I did mean to bring it last week. Like I said, I wanted to start it on Monday, uh, the 14th, but it is now the 18th, and obviously that just, this, what is it? Yeah, the 18th, and that obviously just wasn't the case because, like I said, yo, I could barely get out of bed on some of those days. Anyways, um, enough with that shit. I'm just going to get right into this motherfucker right here because I got a lot of shit fucking written out that I want to get through and hopefully a less than an hour, about an hour's time, right? So no need to beat around the bush. Before we do, let's get through the formalities. If you haven't already, follow your boy on the social medias, OG underscore Ice Nice 13 on the gram and the backup, of course, OG dot Ice Nice 13 on the gram. You can find me along some of the similar vein on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, though realistically, I don't really use any of them, okay? But just in case you're one of those people that likes to follow along on those as well, right? Um, let's just get into it, dog. Uh, the, the podcast for today uh, is kind of a... <laughs> I'm gonna... Another deviation, okay? Just deviation upon deviation upon deviation. I still have the working fucking story in my head, right? But I'm just gonna be honest with you, dog. I'm kind of bored of it already myself. Not in the sense that it's a boring topic, but because... It's just something I want to, I want to, it was already something that I was bored with long before, like the modernism, post-modernism debate. I grew fucking weary of it during my doctoral studies to begin with. Okay. And it's not that I think that it's a boring topic. It's very fucking fun. Don't get me twisted. There's a lot of fun shit happening in that debate that is worthy and merits its own discussions. You know what I mean? But for me to constantly be focusing on it, it does kind of just wear on me and it's just like, eh, whatever. I want to move on to something else. Right. Which is where the whole chicanidad and the whole low riding shit came into play. And, you know, that's fucking the same. It's interesting. It's fun to talk about. But I wanted to move on beyond that a little bit as well. Right. Um, and the reason why is because both of those are directly enmeshed within the current simulation that we're living through, dog. And that is just everyday life in 2021, allegedly. Um, just Western world, bro. Okay. And I'm going to be honest with you, bro. Just an overall boredom that I, I guess is more specific, not directed towards the ideas that I've been discussing, but just towards the simulation, if you will, that we're currently living in, bro. <laughs> um, I'm almost convinced, okay? Like, I'm almost certainly convinced that we're living in a simulation. Obviously, if you followed along the podcast for long enough, you know that, right? And you know that if you take it a little bit further, blue uh, conspiracies, rather, are a little bit of a blueprint through these simulations, Okay. Uh, for everything that has happened and everything that will happen inevitably through a simulation. It's like the foundation and the architects are going by the playbook. I don't know what the fuck it is specifically, but I know that there is there is a playbook, dog. There's a blueprint in place and it's it's just being it's followed it's being followed through at the current moment that we're speaking of, right? Um and then, you know, it's just when you compound upon that, you have like I don't know. I just I I, I find it difficult for people who don't believe in conspiracy specifically, but as in uh, the simulation as a whole, which might be the greatest sim fucking conspiracy of them all, right? The idea that we're living in a fucking computer simulation that there's uh, grand architects that are working behind the scenes to fucking, you know, manipulate our everyday live reality. That's a giant conspiracy, bro, which is, you know, that's the fucking simulation theory. But um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I still find it difficult that it's, I still find it fucking hilarious that it's so difficult to get people to fucking come around to these ideas, right? When we have like, for instance, these various cultures that I predict uh, that I predicted rather the end of the simulation, right? Uh, followed by the rebirth of new ones and you know ones that are correct, the end of the ages that we're living in, etc. Right. So, for example, one of my personal favorites is is the yugas in Hinduism. Okay. So the basic idea is like I'm gonna butcher this because I haven't really studied it in depth since I first learned about it as an undergraduate, right? But the basic gist for the for this Hindu idea of of yugas 
And if you're a Hindu person listening to this and I'm butchering it, I apologize, right? Feel free to fucking get at me and correct me in all the ways that it's wrong. I ain't tripping. But uh, the basic gist is that it, you have like the whole reality of standing up on the legs of four, of, or rather of a cow, right? The four legs of a cow. And with each ensuing leg is like, you know, dedicated to one particular yuga or age, if you will. Okay. But as every age comes to an end, thus the leg of the cow is removed until it becomes progressively less stable. To the point where it's only left with one leg that it's hand that it's that is uh, uh, standing on, and that is the Kali Yuga, right? The Kali uh, J Kali Ma specifically is the is the Hindu god of destruction. Okay, so inevitably the fucking uh, the cow collapses because the the, the, the last cycle ends, and it, you know reborn. Okay, the last three cycles of the Kali Yuga, the age of destruction, and uh, it's you know when the whole cycle repeat when it starts all over again, and it's a it, it leads back to an age of stability, if you will, right? And uh, I feel that's currently where we're at, okay? Hence my overall boredom with this shit, right? Uh, the boredom is that, yeah, like we're seeing it collapse. Like everyone knows the writing's on the wall. The people who aren't fucking like, you know, there's people who are undoubtedly willfully ignorant of it at this fact. They're just pretending that it's not there. They don't really realize that it's there, okay? But the rest of us that are actually paying attention, we see the collapse of the American empire. We see these fucking conspiracy theories that have been proven fucking true through and through right? Coming slowly into fruition, living in this fucking new world order type shit, right? And it's just so predictable because it's just like, well, we've been seeing this, the writing's been on the wall for how long already? And now we're just kind of going through the motions, right? So there's really no like, there's nothing new, if you will. If It's like, I feel kind of like that, that emotion inside of the movie Inside Out, right? Where he's watching the dream and he's anticipating with boredom what's to come next. That's kind of how I feel at the current moment, right? So, like, the, for instance, when it comes to these conspiracy theories, the, the, hint, the Clintons, dog, they added another fucking body to their body count. And it's just like, oh, really? The fucking Clintons killed another person? They suicided another person because, you know, they had fucking dirt on them? Like, at this point, it's, it's just like, oh, how original, bro. If you still fucking think the Clintons aren't anything than a fucking crime family that was fucking running drugs out of Mena, Arkansas, right back in the day through the CIA, like, it's just, come on, dog. The writing, it's there. Like, this isn't even, this is documented history. And if you don't see that, at this point, it's just like, because you're being willfully ignorant, right? So when it comes back to this fucking, uh, when it comes back to the boredom, then it's just like, it, there's nothing particularly new about it. It's fucking exciting when you first learn about the Clintons suiciding so many people, right? But after a while, it just becomes, it, it just becomes passive. It, it just, whatever. It, just, it doesn't mean, it doesn't have as much of an emotional impact, if you will, right? And that, uh, I guess, in a way, circles back to this idea that I've been circling around with this modernism, postmodernism debate, and that is that the same problem that I have with colonial European culture, and that is that it's, it's ultimately, dog, it's just how fucking boring it is. Like, it's just so boring to me. It doesn't have any life or vibrancy. And it's lit like, literally, if we're going to be fucking just literal about it, it's predicated entirely on the desire for control, right? And not even the good kind of control, like, over oneself. It's dedicated on the fucking desire to control other people, dog, and, you know... Uh, chasing the means necessary to do so, right? Whatever those means may be, whether it's running for office, whether it's acquiring wealth, whether it's making supposed changes in the name of social justice, right? It, whatever the case might be, this fucking colonial European culture, dog, it always collapses to the desire to control other people, okay? And obviously, dog, I'm just like, fuck that, yo. The world is so much more fascinating than just desiring control over others, okay? And, you know, that's what I'm interested in. The shit that comes outside of just desiring to control other people and dictate their fucking lives. Just leave me the fuck alone, dog, is what I say. If, you know, I had to limit my fucking American, quote-unquote, political ideology, because I've already talked at length at this podcast about how my political ideology doesn't fit within the American uh, uh, political framework, but if I had to fucking, you know, narrow it down to one, I would just say, leave me the fuck alone, dog live and let live type shit, right? Like, I don't want to be bothered by you and I won't fucking bother you in turn as long as you ain't harming any other people, right? And I myself as well, okay? Aside from that, the only shit that I want to be interested in, dog, is <laughs> like, I, I laugh just like, just thinking about it because it's fucking, you know, it's the fun shit in life, bro. Seriously, aliens, demonology, mysticism, the occult, time travel, dog, all that fun shit. Like, that's real fun shit, bro. And just having to live through this boring European fucking culture that's collapsing is just so boring and passe. Especially when they fucking try so hard to get you to believe that this, sh this type of shit isn't fucking real. You know what I mean? Now, to be fair, to be fair, I myself am guilty of this. Specifically when it comes to like the Chicanex shit that I've been focusing on so much in the past couple of weeks, right? 
And I'm not saying that it's boring. I guess I did a little bit in the beginning, but let me rephrase it now that I have better terminology. It's not that it's boring. It's just for me personally, I've already figured that shit out. So having to rehash it, I, it's a good thing. I understand the importance, I suppose, of people who are looking to me to try to figure it out, which I think is a huge compliment. Don't get me twisted. Right. Um, but uh, what I'm trying to say is that in, in a way, it's really just it's kind of contributing to that fucking boring ass European colonial culture in the sense that I feel like it's you're still trying to gain legitimacy from them, which I, I don't fucking care. I don't need colonial Europeans to legitimize me in any way, shape or form. Right. So when I sit here and I talk about the Chicanx type, you know, the Chicanx identity, I'm kind of perpetuating that cycle of, you know, boring, pedantic European colonial culture. Okay. And that's kind of where I felt that this podcast was heading in the last few episodes, which is why I wanted to pump the brakes a little bit and, you know, put a, just put a, 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 a insert a new trajectory, if you will. Take it back to the old school days of the podcast, if you will. Okay. Uh, which, you know, brought me to the second impetus for this particular episode. And it was that while I was actually originally doing the research for my first episode of Run It Back, right? Uh, <laughs> it's still forthcoming. Like I said, I got sick and I wasn't able to drop it on the desired due date, but it's coming. Okay. So just look for it. It's on its way. But, um, uh, when I was doing the research, like just looking up for potential, like, you know, news topics to talk about. So I don't want it to just be like the previous day. I don't know. I'm still, I'm still working out the, the details. Okay. But the point is I was reading like all sorts of different news articles and shit. Uh, please disregard the noise in the background. Um, as I was reading the different news articles and shit, right. Trying to, you know, figure out what I was going to do to talk about in the first couple episodes. Uh, my mind kept wandering, dog, to the place it always does when I'm researching shit, okay? Uh, hence, that's kind of the desire, <laughs> right, to, to split this podcast. And it's uh, one of the motives for this new piece, okay? Because I'm sitting there researching shit, and I, as I'm trying to get, like, the actual facts, my mind starts wandering to the hypotheticals, right, the, the philosophical end of it all, you know? Like, what is the motivation behind this? What is the, what is the, 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 what are they trying to fucking sell me? What are they trying to tell me type shit, right? Like, Let's fucking try to situate this historically. Let's figure out what the intentions are from people like individual listeners and readers type shit. You know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> that's kind of where, you know, this the desire for this podcast, uh, the second desire came into play because I started tripping specifically on the individual people who like consume the news. And uh, I started wondering to myself, like, well, what is it about people that makes us inclined to want to check out the news to begin with? And one element that we cannot disregard is the voyeuristic element of it, homeboy. Okay, this is not a new idea. People have been talking about this for a long time. But for whatever reason, we as people, we love fucking drama, obviously, right? Look at all this fucking episodes of reality TV that you can digest on a daily basis, okay? And for whatever reason, even the people that say we don't love the drama, I'm going to fucking push you a little bit and say there's something that you feel compelled enough enough to, you know, consume yourself with even a little bit of the drama even if you fancy yourself as one of those people that doesn't okay i know that's the case with me every now and then i'll turn into this fucking sports and see what the, every now and then every day though i'm gonna be honest with you especially with like baseball and shit right i'm always keeping up with baseball i love fucking baseball that's you know this is a little bit of the of the other side of me that i know that hasn't really come out on the fucking podcast because i might come off as just some fucking uptight snooty academic that only fucking reads books and shit but it's not true doc right like i love sports i really do college football baseball that's my shit you know what i mean um, so even I, this person who imagines myself to be fucking, you know, like removed from the everyday worldly minutia, I'm fucking balls deep in that shit too, dog. I keep up with the drama, right? Because the voyeuristic element, right? <laughs> even if it comes at the expense of our own well-being at some point, right? Now, uh, whether it's evolutionary or cultural, I don't fucking care, dog. That's, to, you know, to determine. That's not the point of this episode, okay? The point of this episode is something entirely different, but we're building it up, okay? Uh, another reason, however, is the part that of... Uh, this is, I guess, in, in, in anticipation of the buildup, like, let's just get to the buildup of it. And this is the fucking, this is where it starts coming to play. And that is the second reason why people are so fucking like, why we even care about the news in the first place? Like, why do I want to bring you a podcast dedicated to the news on a daily basis? Why do you want to consume a podcast on the news on a daily basis, whether it's mine or another one? Doesn't matter, right? And that is this low-key desire, dog, or this low-key fucking force that is driving us as people to be constantly on alert about a potential doomsday we may experience in our lifetime, right? Depending on how severe your fucking trust issues are, like mine are on a full fucking tilt at all times, as we've discussed. Growing up in the hood will do that to you, okay? Um, so I'm always on edge for this shit to be fucking falling apart just on a daily basis, let alone on a worldly basis, okay? 
but I'm not alone in this. I know I'm not alone in this. In fact, <laughs> for me personally, I know uh, when I read the Bible, for instance, the entire time I was reading the Bible, like it never hit me like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. I feel so fucking touched by this fucking spirit of God. Like, fuck that shit. That never fucking happened to me. Okay. But to be fair, some of the Bible is very poetic, which is what you would expect for some fucking book that's been written by thousands of people over fucking however many thousands of years, right? Like you better get that shit shutting down pretty well, right? Um, but anyways, I've never felt like the, you know, I never felt the touch of the spirit reading the Bible. But what I did feel when I was reading it, right? is that the entire shit read as a book of people who are basically engaging in this mass obsessive compulsive ritual, dog, in order to stave off what they just knew, they just knew, okay, would be the end of their world in, in their times if they didn't, which obviously fucking isn't the case. We got motherfucking doomsday prophecies since way back before the biblical days. Motherfuckers have just always been afraid of the end of times in their lifetime, right? They're always convinced it's going to happen like, even me, I'm telling, I started off this fucking podcast by telling you about it, right? The whole fucking Yuga Sutra type shit. Like, motherfuckers are always convinced it's going to be the end of the, end of the, end of the human species, if you will, in their lifetime, right? Now, uh, if it feels like I'm being condescending, allow me to assure you that it's only slightly, dog, because despite the theatrics, the same, of course, could be said of the Mexica Tenoka people as well. I mean, if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you know that I had an entire episode dedicated to the fucking ritual sacrifice of the quote-unquote Aztec people, the Mexica Tenoca, you know what I'm saying? And now what? Um, <laughs> so this idea that they're going to try to stave off the end of the world by, you know, keeping the fifth son alive by, you know, translating, not translating, but fucking transfusing blood from a living human being to a living son in order to ensure that doesn't come to be. It's the same as fucking these Christians back in, you know, wandering around the Middle East somewhere fucking saying that they got to repent because whatever. I don't fucking, obviously, I'm not, I, don't, I don't know anything about Christian dogma besides the, the, the basics, okay? Um, that's not true. I actually know a lot about it, but right now I'm not trying to fucking delve into that world. The point is what I'm trying to say, whether it's fucking Jewish people in the Middle East or fucking Nahua people here in Turtle Island, doesn't matter when it was, okay? Motherfuckers have always been prophesying the end of times, right? And I'm sure, again, it's not just those two cultures either, I gave you the example of the Hindus, okay, with the Kali Yugas, and I'm sure there are plenty more of cultures across time and space that have been fascinated with shit like planetary disasters, emerging pandemics, tectonic shifts, earthquakes, dog, fucking crazy ass weather, right? Uh, natural disasters, if just as a whole, okay? Um, oil spills, asteroids, incoming asteroids, right? <laughs> The, one of my personal favorites, the exploding of a super caldera, like the one up in Yellowstone. Okay, I think about that shit all the time. Droughts, bro, living here in a desert, living fucking through triple degree he, uh, triple degree heat at the start of summer already. Um, tsunamis, for those of you who are old enough to remember, or for those of you who have seen the video that tsunami, but like in Malaysia back like 15 years ago, right? Uh, and all sort of other looming threats that could potentially, potentially spell the end or of the human race, right? And what makes these fucking threats even more visceral, dog, is that, you know, they exist despite, they exist despite, or maybe even perhaps even in spite of our individual concerns, okay, our individual desires, our hopes and our aspirations, okay? So what I mean by that is like, we like to imagine ourselves as somehow removed from all this. I know me personally, uh, when I watched the video, for instance, let's go with the tsunami that hit Malaysia. I was a fucking senior in high school when that shit went down, right? Um, and you watch the video of the tsunamis and you, you, you know, you feel removed from it somehow because I live in the middle of the desert, dog. <laughs> right now, fucking, uh, uh, a massive downpouring of water would be greatly appreciated, right? In the form of a monsoon, at least not a fucking tsunami, but I am very comfortable and secure knowing that if I never leave El Paso, Texas, I will never die in a tsunami as long as I stay right here in El Paso, Texas, right? I'll die from all kinds of other shit. But a tsunami won't be one of them because there's no fucking body of water anywhere near this motherfucker large enough to fucking to, 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 to make that the case. Right. So when I watch this video, I'm removed from it. Dog. I'm removed from it as, as if though this phenomena exists in a separate world, even <laughs> that I'm not a part of. OK, that I'm just merely witness to it, if you will. OK, whether it be by at this point, historical analysis analysis. Right. Like. We're moving beyond just the fucking tsunami now that happened in Malaysia, but just any other historical event that you read about and you're like, fuck, that shit must have sucked having to live through. I'm glad I never lived through those kind of times to have to go through that type of shit, right? Or, or whether it be through social media interaction when you're watching it in real time unfolding and you're like, fuck, yo, that shit is crazy what's happening over there. 
I'm glad I'm not over there right now. I'm here in, you know, wherever the fuck it is that you might be and, you know, not having to live through that type of shit at the current moment, right? <laughs> but if the dude that I'm basing the episode on this, of this podcast is correct, a gentleman by the name of Eugene Thacker, the book here being, I'm revisiting, I'm revisiting it, like I said, taking it back to the old days of the podcast. Uh, it's one that I talked about briefly, like just very fucking briefly before in episode like 29 or something like that, 29 and 30. Um, I made a video about it. It's probably one of my favorite videos that I've ever made. I share it quite often. <laughs> um, but uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, what is it? In the Dust of This Planet. Okay, so this is a, this, I'm, I'm going to go through this book like in fucking detail now because, like I said, it's just such a fun fucking book and the ideas that are introduced are so dope that I just want to, you know, have a little bit of fun with the fucking podcast. So uh, what he's going to tell us then is that uh, to confront this idea, right, uh, to confront the idea that we're not removed from these fucking events, okay, is to confront this absolute limit, if you will, of our ability to adequately understand the world at all, right? So what I mean is, for him at least, this is an idea, like, it's a central motif in the horror genre, and one, in turn, that I'm going to be picking up in this episode, right? So specifically, what I'm trying to talk about here is exploring the relationship between philosophy and horror. And how we're going to do it is, well, it's going to be a variety of ways, but it's just to go up with the example that I gave earlier about the natural tsunamis is like asking ourselves, like, why is it that even though we know, I know for a fucking fact, the ocean exists in the very world that I'm living in right here, right now. Why do I, A, feel as though I'm removed from that just because I live in the middle of the desert and B... What is the fucking, the voyeuristic element within me that still fucking is pushing me to want to figure out and learn about it, to experience it, you know, you know all sorts of different other uh, what-ifs, if you will, motifs. And that's kind of where the relationship between philosophy and horror comes into play because I'm, I'm philosophizing. It's the practice of philosophizing, right? You're engaging in the, in the asking of these questions, the hypothetical thought experiments, like what if I lived in Malaysia during that fucking grand tsunami? What would I do, Right. What is the ethical imperative that we have to build a space program that will be able to protect us from incoming asteroids, assuming you're one of those people that believes that space is real and not another one of those people that believes that space is fake, right? Uh, and all the other types of fucking questions that drive us to examine these fucking natural phenomenon that at, a, at the core inspire these deep-seated feelings of horror within us. Because even though I know comfortably that living in El Paso, Texas for the rest of my life, if I never leave this motherfucker, I'll never die of a tsunami. Even though I know that that's fucking 100% certain, a little bit of horror still exists within me. Not just because of the fact that I know tsunamis exist, not just because of the fact that I know they exist on the planet that I fucking live on, but that the small chance remains that maybe I'll never fucking, maybe I won't stay in El Paso for the rest of my life. I like to fucking travel. I love going to California, bro. I love going to the beach. And the chance exists, that small chance that I may very well be there one day when the tsunami fucking hits, right? So I can't even comfortably say that I'll never die of a tsunami, right? Because you just never know. So um, in examining this, so the, the philosophical aspect comes into this when you start to what you start to ask yourself is like, well, what is the push towards fucking wanting to know the whys behind all of this, right? And in answering this question, it's going to take us in like very quote unquote unconventional spaces, dogs, spaces where these snooty academic dorks would never even consider right <laughs> i'm talking shit like again demonology occultism mysticism supernatural horror and so on so again for those of you who have followed along the podcast long enough you'll know it's a little bit of a return back to the fucking the horror genre if you will that i discussed that i was like really deeply into for a while i'm always deeply into it dog but like i'm just revisiting it in terms of like an analytic discourse okay um, but as a quick refresher, what I'm talking about here is not so much horror as a literary, a literary genre. Like I'm not going to be reading fucking horror novels to you or talking about science fiction movies or horror movies, right? Not, not directly and not yet. That's, that's, it's on the back burner. Okay. The philosophy of fucking Jason, if you will. That's just, it's in the back burner, right? But, uh, instead, what I'm doing is, <laughs> I'm talking the isolation of those moments in which philosophy reveals its own unique limitations and constraints, okay? When thinking specifically, enigmatically, right, uh, about the forces that we confront, that forces rather, uh, we're thinking, let me rephrase that, we're thinking enigmatically, okay, and it's forcing us to confront the horizon of not just the possibility of philosophy, 
but of our own as well. Like, so when we're talking about our own horizon of possibility, that's like, that's your death, dog. Like, you realize one day your horizon of possibility is going to come to an end. A little bit of Heideggerian shit. Again, for those of you who have listened to the podcast long enough, the whole being in time, uh, being in this world, Dasein podcast episodes, right? So that's the being, the, the horizon of our own personal possibilities. But then the horizon of the possibilities of philosophy is when we start to realize that it's actually pretty fucking limited. And if we're being honest, it's actually pretty fucking self-destructive, philosophy is, because inevitably it collapses upon itself when it realizes that it itself cannot answer all the fucking fundamental questions of reality, if you will, including why philosophy itself is even an enterprise worth engaging in in the first place, right? So um, when we're keeping up with the news then or historical events, there's this part of us, dog, that it recognizes that. We're not truly, we're not, we're not truly spared from these moments. Again, just because again, we don't live in the world that is not separate from them, right? But rather we live in the world with them, right? And as such, there's an intuitive part of us that the similar, that, that knows full well. There's just like this part inside of us that intuitively knows that we are subject. We can ex- potentially experience those similar horrifying fates that others have met, right? Despite or again, in spite of their own personal desires, okay? Uh, that 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 realization is readily available to us all. Now, I want to I want to note I want to mention that this is not the same as this Camusian fucking confrontation with the absurd. When you know what Camus is going to want to tell us is that we confront the absurd when we realize that we are these individuals who desire meaning and purpose, living in a in a universe that is you know devoid of meaning and purpose essentially. And if you you know depending on how deeply you take it, some will even say that it's hostile to our desire for meaning and purpose. Okay, this is not that. This is that on steroids, okay? Um, this is the realization that even if some, some cataclysmic event were to occur to us, to say that the universe would care is to fucking put the universe, is to, is to shape the universe in, in a human understanding, which would privilege the human being. And that's the point that this, uh, the, the, this, op- this particular episode of the podcast is going to get to, but inevitably this trajectory is going to lead us through, is the realization that there's nothing particularly special about humans and thus the ensuing horror that emerges when you realize that even if the tsunami were to wipe the entire planet Earth or the asteroid were to wipe the entire planet Earth off the fucking scope of existence, the universe would continue unabated because not only does it, it just, not that it doesn't care about us, dog, it doesn't even know about us, essentially, right? It, it's completely just ambivalent, essentially, okay? Now, that shit is haunting, dog, especially when we start getting into the whys, again, the whys of it all. Like, why would a good God allow for such a thing to happen type shit? You know what I mean? Why would a good God create sentient beings who crave meaning and purpose and then give them a world lack thereof? You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, you start get, when you start to get into these questions, we really start to chip away, basically, at the edges of philosophy, right? And when we do, the, when we do that, we start to chip away more specifically at the fucking much of the things that have given us meaning and purpose in the universe. It's like imagined order, essentially, right? And what I mean by that is like, Philosophy is responsible for all the stories that we've told ourselves. And the truth about stories is they're all we fucking got, okay? Um, doesn't matter which culture was engaging in the practice of philosophizing. They inevitably arrive at these fucking stories that give us meaning and purpose. And when you start to question the meaning of constructing these stories, philosophy, you start to chip away at those stories as well, which will leave us inevitably in that weird, uncomfortable space where we realize the horror of non significance (laughs) essentially okay now this more importantly it brings us to one of the greater problems that philosophy faces and that is again comprehending the world we live in as both human and non-human okay it's a human and non-human world it's a world that is both hospitable and inhospitable okay and in turn it forces us to confront this understanding in a political sense right I'll delve a little bit deeper into the political element of it here shortly, but for now, um, I think what's more important to discuss is at least to bring to the fucking, like, just make completely clear is that this realization, this understanding, it brings us to this strange contradiction of sorts where we as humans, we can't help but think of the world in human terms, okay? Given the fact that, you know, it's we as humans who are thinking about it, if you've listened to this podcast long enough. I've given this example in various forms about how there's a fucking entire world out there that exists that we potentially can't access because of our fucking limited uh, uh, senses as human beings, right? The mantis shrimp. You know, if you heard the podcast before, you remember the mantis shrimp story, right? If you haven't, look up the mantis shrimp. I'm not talking about it again, okay? 
Um, but take, take climate change, for example, and getting back to this philosophy. Okay. Irrespective, dog, it doesn't matter what the fuck side of the climate, uh, the climate debate stand or, or debate rather you stand on. It doesn't matter what side. Okay. Because one thing is certain. And that is that if <laughs> the effects that humans have in the mix will be temporary in juxtaposition to the scope of the planet's existence. Okay. That's the key takeaway, homeboy. The scope of the planet's existence. Right. Um, so. Let's not even get into space and all that kind of shit, because that's an entire different existential crisis on its own, namely the idea of like how old is space, how old is the earth, like who gives a fuck, dog? That's one of those questions that's either infinite or fucking however long science says. It's somewhere in between those two, right? One of them is correct. Either way, both of our, all of our fucking brains collectively couldn't fathom what infinity is, let alone what 13 point, however, 8 billion years is for the universe, six or however many, or for the eight, or how, something like six to eight, something like that, right? Billion years for the earth, right? Can't even fucking comprehend it. So who gives a fuck, right? Or let's, let's not even talk. Let's not even, let's, let's put, let's reserve that existential crisis for some other fucking day, right? Um, what I'm trying to state here specifically is that let's say that you do believe in man made climate change, okay? When we situate it in terms of this, uh, 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 philosophy, horror of philosophy, rather, we understand then that if that's the case, we understand full well our effect on the planet, okay? And thus the inevitable consequences of our continued inaction or actions, okay? Um, namely in terms of how they don't curb the effects. And that is ultimately our demise. Like you can fucking allow, let's say you believe in climate change fucking to run un unabated. You understand full well that it's going to lead in our demise. Like there's just no if, ands, or buts about it. Conversely, let's say you don't believe in man-made climate change and that's fine, okay, whatever. Like, you know, it's each their own. That's still not going to change the fact that the planet is changing, dog. Like, just look around, bro. El Paso's had this crazy-ass fucking weather starting with the snowstorm we had in the winter to now this fucking triple-digit heat. We're not even in the start. I mean, summer just started officially like two days ago, okay? And it's already fucking hot as fuck in El Paso right now, bro. I can't even imagine what August and September are going to be like. I don't even want to imagine what August and September are going to be like. Say a prayer for the folks in the hood fucking living through with uh, uh, without uh, refrigerated air conditioning right now, right? Just fucking uh, surviving out the swamp coolers right now because they're going to fucking need them, dog, okay? Um, I mean, obviously, you can't be too surprised. We live right smack in the middle of a fucking desert. Whoever's bright idea was to fucking settle down in the middle of a desert, fuck you, okay? But yeah, dog, like, summer's just started and we're already in triple-digit heat. This coming just six months after a fucking snowstorm, which, you know, it that's typical-ish for El Paso, dog, but they are extreme weathers, okay? And you know full well that if these extreme weathers continue unabated, even if you think that's like a man, uh, climate change is cyclical, it's not going to end well for humans, okay? It, just, it doesn't matter. Whether it's man-made or not, it's not the point, right? The point is that no matter how we slice it, it always ends with our demise, which is fucking weird because not only do we have a difficult time imagining something like that being the case for us individually, like, can you imagine? Like, we don't think man-made climate change would be the end of... I mean, we, we could possibly envision it, all right? But we don't imagine us being the ones that have to fucking live through that kind of shit, right? That's fucking weird. Because uh, that's some shit that just happens to other people, dog, in the past or on social media or whatever. Again, because we feel removed from this fucking world that we're living in, despite the fact that we're fucking very much up in this bitch, okay? Um, and it's even more fucking weird because it's weird to think of the planet that we live on, dog, our fucking home, essentially, right? Has been this, that has been so hospitable to our existence is the very fucking place that is going to lead us to this grisly fate, right? Like this... Because we're in this bitch, this is why we're going to end up in that motherfucker, which is weird because we're only up in this motherfucker because it's been so hospitable to us in the first place. It's home, dog. So to think that our home is just fucking like unstable or, you know, potentially even hostile to our existence, it's fucking horrifying, right? Again, it's like we're basically homeless, bro. Essentially, we're strangers to this planet, right? That we are not fully a part of, but somehow we're not fully divorced from either, Right? Now, again, none of this is new, bro. This has been a problem that's been addressed through various responses in the history of philosophy. I'm thinking right now, just off the top of my head, not even off the notes, of alienation in both the Marxist, or specifically in the Marxist sense, right? Uh, alienation, we find ourselves alienated from the world that we're living in, okay? Like in the actual literal sense, uh, because, you know, the tools, the, you know, the fucking the natural habitat and all that kind of stuff, right? But it's also been uh, addressed in other various philosophical ideas as well, whether it be fucking... The, the iterations of nihilism, both active and passive, okay, to being in the world, if you will, some more Heideggerian talk, and, you know, everything in between, bro, just all sorts of responses, okay? 
And because of these responses, there's been like in general, in general, in the Western culture, at least, right? Uh, inevitably, I hope that through getting through this uh, philosophy of horror shit, that one of these days, like in the far future, uh, I'll be able to come back and revisit it from a Nahuatl perspective, okay? But that's like fucking many moons from now. But the point is specifically when it comes to this Western culture, dog, like there's been at least three, at least three ways in which, you know, from philosophizing about our place in this universe that, you know, philosophers and cultures have been managed to give imagined order, if you will, to the chaos. Okay. Meaning and order to the chaos. So for example, in ancient Greece, it was mythological. Okay. And basically what they felt is that the world itself was just a plaything, if you will, for gods. And that idea helped them give meaning and order to their world. Right. You fast forward to the medieval times, and the early modern Christian era, there was the theological interpretation, this long apocalyptic tradition, right, that cast the non-human world within this moral and, uh, you know, religious framework of salvation, essentially, okay? Then there's the modernist, this is the fucking, the core of all the fucking shit I've been talking about for the past six months already, right? Intersection between scientific hegemony, okay, and industrial capitalism, dog. Which leads ultimately to the infamous proclamation, of course, that God is dead, right? Because science comes along, kills God, no room for it anymore, which reduces us to this fucking reductive uh, uh, materialism that ends in the pit of nihilistic despair, okay? So, obviously, in this reading, the response would be an existential one, right? One that questions the relationship between people and modern science, technology, industrial and pre-industrial capitalism, world wars, and so on, right? So what this Eugene Thacker character is going to want to tell us then is that for him at least, right, the cynic, well, me too, I guess you could say that, okay, uh, we are still living under this reading, right? We are still living uh, the under these readings, all three of them, essentially, right? And that realistically, the only thing that's changed is the outward exterior, okay? The outward exterior being how they are presented. We still feel as though we're, you know, especially in this Western Christian world, that we're somehow uniquely fucking... We're somehow unique, okay? Like we're like these little playthings for God, uh, but we also feel somehow at the same time equally. I don't know why this is so high up there. Let me bring this bitch down a little bit. Uh, we somehow. Oh, I remember why. Because I want to see that. There we go. Uh, that we have the religious component added to it because we feel as though it's actually just God now, and that we're still acting somehow through this weird dichotomy of free will and determinism that Christian people believe in, acting through the a process of redeeming, you know, Christians, I don't want to say ourselves, right, y'all motherfuckers, okay, but at the same time, because of the free will, we still feel as though we're stuck smack dab in the middle of this fucking world, you know what I'm saying, that our actions are going to have some sort of fucking overall importance in that process, right, specifically, what Thacker's going to tell us is that for the mythological, <laughs> that this has become the, the, the this basically, the culture industry, that's what it's become. The mythological, like all these stories that we tell each other, like shout out Jordan Peterson, I guess, in this particular sense. Shout out fucking The Matrix more specifically, right? But all that ancient Greek mythology has essentially just manifested itself still to this day in our culture industry. So our movies, our books, our fucking, uh, uh, the archetypes that we have, of not archetypes, but the schemas, if you will, that we have of reality, whatever, in this Western world, okay? He's also going to tell us that the theological has diffused into fucking political ideology, which is fucking... I mean, he fucking hits the nail on the head with that one, bro. But, you know, it's not just him. This motherfucker's been talking about this shit in political science for a long time, bro. Everything from the great Trump-Biden divide to status, bro. You have an atheist, for instance, who is fucking, has no problem being resolutely anti-belief in God, but will turn around and fucking put up, like, the, the, the state government, state with a capital S, on a fucking pedestal, the same way a religious person would put God and, you know, would get just as upset when you question it because they're, you know, there might be atheists, but they're still fucking statists. They've just replaced one God with another. And then, of course, when it comes to the existential, this has been repurposed, he tells us, into the great self-help therapeutics of consumerism. So, once again, shout out Jordan Peterson, right? <laughs> Anyways, uh, Thacker, uh, Thacker's going to tell us, dog, that while many of, you know, while there may be some truth to these readings, right, what he feels is the more important point to talk about is how these readings have their most basic presupposition in the view of the world as a human-centric world, right? That is, again, a world for us, if you will, okay? For us human beings. And that, in turn, this operates in a way the world does that is in accordance to the values that, the values, the values 
that we assume this entails, right? So take ancient Greece, for example, bro. Even though it casts human beings as these playthings for the gods, the gods are still somehow themselves every bit as human as we are, right? Because they're subjects to the same feelings of take greed, jealousy, and joy, for instance, right? So what he's telling us then is Thacker character is that that's very human-centric. That's a very human-centric way of viewing this because, for one, the humans created these ideas of the god. And then on top of that, even though they're these almighty gods, they're still somehow bound to basic human emotions because that's how we understand reality to be, right? So we figure we fashion these gods in our image, not the other way around. So for the religious reading, then, the same figures get cast into a hierarchy, if you will, that order the world in accordance to, again, our values, dog. We place this love, this equally loving and abusing God at the top. We have these angels and demonic pyramids that, you know, embody supernatural forces in the middle. And then we have humans at the bottom, right? All of which exist in this fucking moral economic framework of sin, debt, and retribution, Right? And then, of course, there's the existential that casts everything in terms of freedom, bro. The emphasis of freedom and the imperative of choice that is so common in the Western world, right? And, of course, the ultimate contradiction that both face in light of both scientific and religious determinism. Science and religion, they collapse to the same thing when it comes to determinism. They both say, fuck you, you don't have free will, get the fuck over it, right? You have the illusion of free will at best, right? So what Dacker is saying then is that regardless of which view we take, dog, the world always appears to us in one of those dominant frameworks, right? And that we, in turn, understand it as such, okay? Feeding into this perpetual feedback, feedback loop of sorts, if you will, that is ultimately doing nothing more than begging the question, right? Now, this begging the question comment, it should be understood in its philosophical, fallacious sense, namely that it is using the premise to justify its conclusion, right? So in this particular sense, what I'm trying to say is that the premise is that one of the three frameworks I just listed to justify the outcome of an action is correct, right? And that let's assume that it does happen to become correct. We just, we, we say that it does happen to become correct because of the premise that we had that led to our idea of that action in the first place, okay? So what I mean is like, say you have like this religious framework, okay? And then you expect a religious answer to occur and somehow an answer does occur, but you're just going to use your religious framework to fucking justify that answer and point back to your initial framework and say, this happened because of this. Like, no, that, that's begging the question, right? You're using your premise and your conclusion, right? Uh, say it could be anything. It doesn't even have to be religious, though. You see people all the time, like, say, like, people are, like, into the universe type shit, right? This happened because of the universe. This happened because of God. This happened because of me and my free choices and so on. Like, it's just, it's very common, Right? Now, notice, this is the point that we're trying to get to here, is that these readings rest entirely on the belief that the world is in some way for us. We feel that the ensuing actions of it, like whatever unfolds in the world, is either there to spite us or support us, right? Now, this is what Thacker is going to call the world for us, Doug, a world that we as humans interpret and give meaning to, okay? The one that we relate to or even feel alienated from. The ones that we are at once simultaneously a part of, but somehow separate to, okay? That's the world that he's talking about as for us, right? Now, the problem, of course, is that this world doesn't always, it doesn't always bend to our will, dog. It often bites back, if you will, okay? and resists or even outright ignores our wants, our desires, and more importantly, perhaps, our attempts to mold it into a world for us, right? One of the reasons we feel so alienated is because we try to make this world fucking a world for us, but it's constantly frustrating those fucking uh, 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 attempts by doing shit like a tsunami that wipes out an entire fucking coastal city, uh, climate change that wipes out entire coastal towns, you know what I'm saying? We're trying to make ourselves at home here, but the natural world at every foot on, on, on a daily basis, it, is, it proves its superiority and dominance over our, our pathetic human desires, essentially. And not even dominance, but upright indifference. The ocean doesn't give a fuck about your oceanfront property, dog. If it wants it, it's going to take it. It's that simple. Okay. Um, so because of this, what uh, Thacker is going to tell us is that he suggests a new world, if you will that we think about, about it in terms of a new world, and that is a world in itself, right? This is basically, for those of you who are like real serious philosophy dorks, okay, like myself, 
This is the Kantian noumenal world type shit, essentially, but with a twist here that we somehow can experience it occasionally. And it's that somehow occasional experience that's going to be the core of this fucking uh, horror of philosophy, okay? For Kant, this noumenal world, dog, it's just this world, if you will, just keep it simple, that exists in some inaccessible, already given state that we, in turn, we can't access it, okay? We just, we just cannot access it. It's not possible. Um, but Kant felt he just, you know, the reason why we can't access it according to the, uh, German idealism specifically is because of the ways our brains are structured. So going back to our senses, our sense perception, they're limited in such a way that we can't access this noumenal world that exists right outside the other side of everyday experience, right? The nominal world that we live in every single day that we can experience, we can touch, we can hear, etc. right? Good luck fucking proving that world and thus that thesis, which is why some people say this is just fucking fancy. This is dualism with extra steps, right? Um, but for Thacker, that world does reveal itself occasionally in the most fucking, in the most innocuous of ways, which we're going to get to here shortly, right? But essentially, it's this borderland, dog. This borderland between the two is that, you know, what he's most interested in. As for him, it reveals to us the horizon of thought between the world we can know and the world that is hidden from us, okay? Now, this hidden element is some dope, fuck, it's got some dope connotations, dog, which is why I'm so excited to talk about it, right? And, it, you know, I'm going to be exploring them because, again, chief among, you know, <laughs> I just can't even contain myself, dog. Demonology, occultism, mysticism, all that kind of shit, shamanism, right? Like, that's all that's all contained there within it, okay? But, uh, and these connotations, dog, when you explore them, chief among which, they come to be the underlying understanding that within it rests perhaps the ultimate cosmic if you will horror and that is that the realization of the world in itself's utter indifference to our existence okay so what i'm trying to say here basically is that we can make this unknown world very difficult to say we can make this unknown world known to us via shit like technological and intellectual developments or sorcery fucking magic right mysticism shamanism okay but we can't necessarily stop it from fucking eradicating us and wiping us away, right? Wiping away any trace of our existence in the process because we don't control it, dog. We are not masters of it. It simply is. That's just, it's fucking there. Like, there's, it doesn't, we're not even, we don't even register, essentially, okay? Um, what he's trying to tell us is that while we can never experience the world in itself, we still seem to be drawn to it nonetheless, dog, almost fatalistically. And the reason he suggests is that perhaps it demonstrates to us, it reveals to us the limits that define who we are as a human species, bro. What we are as a human species, okay? He's going to call this spectral and speculative world of cosmic horror the world without us, bro, okay? Now, unlike the world in itself... This world without us, it cannot coexist with the world for us, right? Because by definition, this world without us entails that it is without humans, which is, of course, contradictory in the sense that the only reason we can intellectualize this world without us in the first place is because we exist up in this motherfucker to be able to do so, okay? Unless, unless, um, orcas, right? The next highest species up on the fucking animal kingdom that we know of, right? are low-key philosophizing and creating these complex uh, epistemologies, and epistemologies and ontologies, as far as we know, <laughs> that just leaves us humans. And until the aliens do prove to be real and not just some fucking hologram on Project Bluebeam, and we can, you know, disseminate their philosophy as well and understand their epistemologies and ontologies, as far as we know, then, that just leaves us as humans uniquely fucking qualified with the ability to do so, which is horrifying in and of itself, Okay. But when it comes to this, then the fucking it's contradictory in the sense that we're trying to imagine a world without us, but it's not possible to do so because the only way we can do so is with a world for us and in a, or us in the world to begin with. Right. So this is starting to reveal this fucking recurring tension uh, 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 in, in the cosmic scale of existence, basically, dog. And to even suggest that the world without us. OK, like the tension is simple. We're irrelevant but somehow uniquely relevant. It's fucking weird, bro, right? But at the same time, to even suggest that this world without us is antagonistic to human existence would be to anthropomorphize it, right? And thus privilege the human experience, which is, again, it's diametrically opposed to the entire point that we're trying to make here with this cosmic terror, right? Because again, 
the world is relevant to our existence, basically. Okay. It's not for us. It is not against us. It's just neutral. It's simply there. Now, it's difficult. The reason I'm having such a hard time is because I'm trying to operate within the Western framework. But if we take the indigenous Nahuatl approach, it's fucking perfectly fine, dog. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, there's no problem at all. It's just Teot, okay? And everything that Teot is and how it's manifested itself in various ways, whether you can fucking uh, uh, perceive them or not, is irrelevant because everything, even the inaccessible, is compromised of the same sacred energy, Teot, right? So it's simple to fucking understand, which is why I'm excited to come back and revisit it from a Nahuatl perspective later on, okay? But for now... In the Western world, dog, this fucking world without us, okay, it exists in this nebulous zone that is one that is at once impersonal and horrific, okay? Now, uh, Thacker's going to tell us that this world without us, it's like a cultural and scientific concept, okay? And it's one that the genres of supernatural horror and science fiction most frequently confront and ask us to think about, right? Now, in terms of philosophy, the central question is whether thought is always determined within the framework of the human point of view, okay? Now, uh, what I'm trying to say here is, do we as humans shape all of existence, including what we believe the world to be without us, believe at this point entails more than just the ideas we've created or inherited, okay, about what this world may be, like, you know, how you envision heaven or hell, for example. Like, we all have the this, this stereotypes, the little fucking, uh, uh, little red guys with the fucking pitchforks ready to poke us in our ass for the fucking rest of eternity, right? When it comes to hell. But that's an idea that was created and then we inherited, bro. Like, that's, we just assume that to be the case. It might not be that way at all. You might not fucking go to heaven and play your little harp with your little fucking halo. That's an idea that was inherited and created, okay? Um, it may very well not be that at all, dog, okay? It might be something completely different that we don't have the ability to ever understand, intellectualize as a human being, okay? And, but it's also implicit in this belief is that such a world even exists given that we don't have access to it. Like, there may very well be no heaven and hell, Christian people. You need to fucking get through that. You need to you need to understand that part, essentially, okay? Or don't. Who gives a fuck? Keep your own story. Whatever helps you go to sleep at night because the truth about stories is they're all we fucking got. Me? No problem because I'm not a Christian. I'll be like, ah, whatever. That shit doesn't fucking matter. Whether it exists, whether it doesn't exist, doesn't fucking matter. All the same, right? Um, so in going back to this fucking particular point that we're trying to make here, right, is when it comes to this ideas about whether humans even structure the world with our ideas, okay, we might even have to ask ourselves like, okay, on the one hand, is it possible that everything we know about the world is only because humans exist in the first place? Or on the other hand, is there an existing world entirely independent of human, of humanity, right? That is potentially even has a complete different mode of thinking, dog. Not even just fucking of being now, like a complete different mode of thinking, all right? That is at best simply not human and at worst one that we're just not able to access. So it's just like, it's hard to even articulate this for me personally because I lack the ability to do so. But I'm going to venture to say 99.9% .9 of the people on this planet do, right? And that is just think about how, how, a different mode of thinking would be to that mode of thinking that we have now. It's fucking impossible because, for one, the only mode of thinking that we have uh, access to is the one that we have now. So to think about a different mode of thinking would require that we, you know, that we use the mode of thinking that we have now to potentially think of a different mode of thinking. It's just this fucking maddening, vicious circle, dog. And it's only going to get worse when we start talking about being and non-being, but that's later on podcast shit. Same topic material, right? Later on podcast shit, okay? But, uh... <laughs> The point that we're trying to make here is that that's that this, this this weird desire to do so that is uniquely human. Like we, it's almost impossible to figure it out. But he, like he told us, we're fucking almost fatalistically drawn to it. Okay, we don't have a fucking choice. We're like little moths floating towards the light. Like the wise, the constant wise that are fucking driving us to try to figure this shit out. Even though ultimately it's going to end with us probably not being happy and at best and at worst outright fucking horrified with the fucking answer. The answer just looking. Poof, far along the line into the into the future is that philosophy is a morally is not just morally but philosophy is an entirely bankrupt fucking enterprise right that we don't know anything no one ever has no one ever wills and the little things that we do think we know is entirely created by human beings it may not even be the actual real fucking world as it truly is right which is where thacker introduces to us a fourth lens dog and that is the cosmological view and hopes of potentially answering this question, right? So specifically, he's going to ask us to consider whether this view is not simply a view, the cosmic view, is not simply a view from interspell, interspell, uh, what's going on with my words today? I don't know. 
interstellar space, but from the a view of the world without us as well. So what, he, what I'm trying to say is like he likens it to this analogy of how 90% of our body is comprised of non-human organisms, right? So when he's talking about this view from the, this cosmological view as a view from, you know, interstellar space or the world without us, he's saying much the same way that 90% of the human body is comprised of non-human organisms, we should probably consider the possibility that the case can at least be made that the same is true for human thought as well, right? That, so that 90% of human thoughts in general, they're not even fucking human to begin with, right? This is where we start getting it's like demonology, the occult, mysticism, shamanism, because if they're not human, what are they? How do we access them? How have people traditionally done so? How do they fucking, how, how are they possessed us essentially, if you will? How do we exercise ourselves from them, if you will? And so on, right? So specifically then what he's asking us to consider, like just, on the surface level to be like real specific about it is the possibility that thought itself is not even human that it's like this alien fucking force that exists entirely independently of human beings right and that just by virtue of being in this world we have become fucking animated by it possessed by it fucking if you will right thought okay and that it's fucking acting out in accordance through our bodily actions okay so this is like <laughs> This is an interesting little move, I think. I think it's a fascinating little move that he's pulling here, right? And it's one that allows for us, okay, for this... It's one that allows us to fucking contextualize this elusive world, okay, without us, without it having to reveal, right, itself, okay? This world, this is the point that I was getting to earlier where he's saying, like, unlike Kant with this whole distinction between the numeral and the nominal world, this Eugene Thacker character does insist that this this world beyond sensory experience can fucking reveal itself to us okay in these breaks if you will or fissures in everyday experience that we've come to just assume is regular everyday life right that the fucking the, the masters behind the fucking scenes will reveal themselves occasionally if you know where to look that thought will reveal to itself to be foreign if we know exactly how to think of it right so the central concept then the central focus becomes the problem of thinking this world without us Right. So what he's trying to tell us here is that this is a problem that is equally philosophical, political and cultural. So just going back to a little bit in the podcast, when I said I'll talk about the political element here shortly. If we really are insignificant, OK, then honestly, who gives a fuck about starving children, dog? Right. And what more importantly is the impetus to try to change that in any way? OK. This is the philosophical, the whys that I was struggling to articulate earlier. This is, this is, they're slowly starting to come out, dog, right? And how, you know, the, the impetus of philosophy is revealed to us through examining this horror, this philosophy of, this horror of philosophy, okay? Because I know me personally, bro. I know me personally. This strikes me as intuitively wrong. But therein lies the problem. As far as philosophy is concerned, homeboy, it's not enough to just quote unquote know something intuitively. That's not a sound epistemic foundation. We have to have sound justification for why we believe it to be true, right? And the only way we can have this, of course, is by engaging these problems philosophically, which if we follow this reductive Western materialism from which Thacker is operating, inevitably it's going to take us down this nihilistic road because all of fucking, all of fucking Western uh, culture collapses into nihilism, okay? Because... Science, God is dead, right? And while Thacker has science to justify his claims, the rest of us are left with, quote unquote, less science per se, okay? Or as Kant put it, at best, at best, we're left sacrificing science in order to make room for faith. Of course, other alternatives do exist, bro. And that's where, that's where my shit starts to come into play, okay? And that would be pre-scientific practices like mysticism, shamanism, occultism and the like to try to find our place instead right now i say pre-scientific and i scare quoted for those of you who are only listening because we're going to come to find out realistically bro much of science stems from these fucking practices okay it is in many ways the nothing more science is nothing more than the systematic uh, systematic systematization fuck my words are not working today we'll assume it's because i was sick and my brain slowly starting to catch up okay and the legitimization of these practices Right. So, I mean, think about it, bro. Like, what is a scientist realistically if nothing more than just like an ancient druid or mystic that's utilizing the world that we live in? Right. Uh, the materials in the world that we live in in a ritualistic process to attain a desired result. What is a fucking doctor, dog, if not an ancient healer? Right. 
and so on. So in terms of this culturally, in terms of culturally and politically, then one need only look at how we as Americans respond to this crisis to see how deeply ingrained and thus deeply philosophically urgent cosmic horror truly is. Because if it's correct, the nihilism is true and there's no reason to fucking give a fuck about the starving children around the world. But again, that seems weird to us because of course we want to care about it, right? Which is going to force us to examine one of two things. Either the universe doesn't give a motherfuck because we're simply, we're, we're framing the idea that starving children is bad, right? In terms of human, in, in human forms and, and, and desiring and human ideas specifically and desiring to fucking force the universe to care about those ideas or conversely, it's just, it can potentially be altered in some, in some way that isn't available to us via the current tools that we are using, right? And thus, we get to the horror of philosophy, a topic that I'm going to delve into again just at a later point in this series, right? Because unfortunately, like all the other tangents that I've started recently, I'm going to have to put this one on the back burner because by this point, we're, I'm, I'm, let, me, let me see how far we are. We're at the hour-long mark at this point, right? And the next shift is even some more deeper shit than what I've already been talking about so far, right? And rather than just rush through it, I'm going to simply wrap this bitch up and wait for the next episode to do so, okay? But before that, though, I do want to just leave with some parting thoughts on what exactly it is that Thacker means by this sense, the horror, okay? He's not simply talking about cultural productions of horror, dog, like movies, comic, uh, comic, uh, comics, rather, video games, books, and so on, right? He's telling us that while these things are an important part of culture and that while scholarly studies of the horror genre in general do help us understand how these productions achieve the effects they do, genre horror deserves to be considered as more than the sum of its formal properties, bro. So it needs to be more than just what academics and fucking the scholarly consensus, if you will, says that horror is. It's more than that, okay? Furthermore, he's asking us to consider horror as more than just the human emotion of fear, dog. Whether it comes from fucking a film, whether it comes from a news report or a personal story, it doesn't matter. We need to examine horror as more than just a human emotion, okay? Because this emotion itself is unquestionably important and can be examined from many different lenses, the political, the ethical, the religious, and so on, right? But for our purposes, we need to divorce ourselves from just this strict reading because horror in this sense remains strongly inscribed within the scope of human interests and more importantly, as the world for us. Remember, he's telling us thought is not unique, may very well not be uniquely human. So when it comes to this fucking, the ideas that we have of horror now, we need to start fucking considering the fact then that the ideas that we have of them are not ours to begin with. And that opens us up to an ability to examine the horror, the ideas that we have of the emotion of horror, the human emotion of horror as something entirely alien, something entirely different. Okay. And thus it allows us this fucking opportunity to confront with our own personal fucking, you know, potentially our own personal ideas again i say potentially because those ideas themselves may be completely foreign as well and not human right but at least it opens up the space for us to be able to confront these ideas right and thus in turn our own personal desires from life okay and the ensuing unending hostility of the universe towards our existence right again this camusian interpretation I, I can't fucking emphasize dog it's not it's not it doesn't suffice anymore it's not sufficient right because it entails this human-centered reading of the world as the universe somehow even being aware of us enough to know that we exist, okay? Let alone that an asteroid wiping out 99% of humanity would be a quote-unquote bad thing, right? So when it comes to this horror then, what it basically is is our coming to terms with this and the feelings of horror that it inspires within us, okay? And thus in turn having to try to analyze those horrors as faith those feelings as faithfully as possible with the understanding that the ideas that we've had of it so far may not even be our own right which you know means basic philosophy shit now he's just taking it a step further the basic philosophy shit is telling you like allegory of the cave tells you how to respond to a certain feeling like okay now you got to examine like is that feeling how you're responding to it your actual personal feeling responsive to it or how you were fucking brainwashed to respond to a certain situation He's doing that, but taking it to a cosmic level, hence the cosmological lens. He's saying those ideas that you think you have, they weren't given to you by some person in a cave. 
They exist entirely outside of the human experience as some alien, if you will, experience that we are just being possessed by, essentially. Okay? To use my language, right? Uh, now, when it comes to this particular argument, he's going to tell us that there's two common assumptions that in which horror should be understood, right? Namely, he tells us uh, we should do so in a way that doesn't deal with human fear in a human world, i.e. the world for us, right? But instead, that horror should be understood as being about the limits of the human as it confronts a world that is not just a world, quote unquote, and not just an earth, rather, or or, quote unquote, but also a planet or more specifically, a world without us. Okay, because doing so allows us to imagine horror, not simply as fear, but more importantly, again, as the enigmatic thought of the unknown. Okay, the unknown is terrifying. This is just a really fancy fucking way of saying this, dog. The unknown is terrifying, homeboy. Okay, every conception of reality that you have developed or fucking inherited to buffer you from this unknown, right? It's just a story that we've made up, okay, to ground us in reality. And as we've already fucking examined, the truth about stories, dog, is they're all we fucking got. So the feeling of horror comes into place when you fucking confront this, realize this first fact. And come face to face with it and realize that you may very well just be floating up in this bitch, okay? With nothing to ground you onto reality. And that's the, that's the feeling that he's trying to understand, right? He's got horror, the horrifying feeling that this fucking inspires within us, okay? To end, we'll end it with an H.P. Lovecraft quote, right? He tells us, the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear. And the oldest and strongest kind of fear is the fear of the unknown, okay? So what Thacker is telling us then is that horror is about the paradoxical thought of the unthinkable or perhaps better stated the unknowable right so simply put horror quote unquote is a non-philosophical attempt to think about the world without us philosophically right you ain't gonna find any formal logics okay the kind of academic dorks fucking built their entire careers on in this shit dog but in the philosophical kernels will be ever fucking present in these ideas that we'll discuss inevitably as this podcast series progresses, right? Genre horror is taking aim at the central tenets of Western philosophy. The central tenet here being that the world is always the world for it, right? And it's going to do so by making the blind spots, such as the misguided, in my belief, affirmation, okay, uh, that this world is for us, right? And he's going to do so by making visible, if you will, uh, the, the, the hidden parts of the world that make us realize that maybe this world is not for us, okay? By using not abstract concepts like forms or antinomies like Western academic doors like to use, right? But using instead the bestiary, if you will, of the impossible, okay? Life forms that are staples in the horror genre like mist, ooze, blobs, slimes clouds, demons, zombies, masked killers, and so on, right? And that's where a little bit of fucking examination of the horror of philosophy will continue along on the next episode of this series. But until then, I hope you all have a great rest of your day, and I'll see you next time. Peace.